Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May God bless the reading of His Word. morning, Grace Christian Church and YouTube. Uh, it's fantastic to have you here. My name is Jonathan and today I have the wonderful privilege of bringing you God's Word. Uh, now if you've been following along in our series you'll know that we've been going through Colossians uh, and today we're up to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, so Paul has just explained at the end of chapter 2 how we ought not to live. Uh, Joe covered it in his sermon last week and you can see that online. Uh, and because we no longer belong to this world, we shouldn't subject ourselves to the world's approach to religion. Our faith is not based on how well we can stick to rules or, or how strict we are in observing religious traditions. These rules of human origin have the appearance of wisdom, but are in fact useless in changing us inwardly. They don't make us any more pleasing or acceptable to God, and instead they feed our egos. They give us this false sense of humility and are altogether unspiritual. We should not live as though we need to earn God's favour because that's an impossible task for any human being and will lead to disappointment and rejection. Instead, we need to live as the people that God has already made us to be. And so we come back to the point that Paul has been trying to make in Colossians 2, chapter 6, in verse 6. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
Continue to live your lives in him. You see, we, we received Christ Jesus as Lord by faith. We didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. We didn't work really hard or strive really hard to get it. It was given to us as a free gift of God by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8-9 For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Paul says that in the same way that we receive Jesus by faith, so too should we continue to live in him by faith. That means we don't now suddenly try to earn his favour. We don't need to participate in religious festivals or impose some set of religious rules or laws. But if that's not the way that we are to go about it, then what is? What does this new life in Christ look like? If we're not to go about earning our place in heaven, how ought we to live? Is there some sort of new set of rules that we need to follow? Well, hopefully today we're going to see that that isn't the answer. And in today's text, Paul is going to answer this question for us. How should we live our new lives in Christ? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we can come together and, and uh, learn from your word. Father, I pray that uh, you would be here, that God, that you would help us to understand what you're trying to say to us. Father, I pray that you open our eyes, our ears, and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak faithfully to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, verses 1-4 to Paul begins by saying that because we have now died and been raised to life again, we need to live consistently with the new identities that we have. Let me try to explain what Paul is saying by using an imperfect metaphor. Uh, now, there are many people who would love to compete in the Olympic Games. However, in order to represent your country at the Games, you first need to qualify to make your nation's Olympic team. Uh, so, for example, in the next Olympic marathon, which we don't know when that might actually happen, uh, but whenever that will be, there will be roughly 80 people competing in that race. Uh, and the best nations, of which Australia is one of those nations, uh, they'll be able to send three of their top representatives. Uh, now, once these individuals qualify and are officially accepted onto the team, they now have the responsibility to carry themselves as representatives of their nations. Now, unlike these Olympians, we don't have to earn a spot on the team. We were gifted it freely when we chose to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord. And as a result, we are now chosen. We are approved. We are redeemed. We are forgiven and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our old life has gone, and we've been made new creations in Christ. We've died to our old life, and have now been granted new life in Christ. We've been translated from darkness into light. We've been transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of the Son, whom God loves. We've been given a spot on the team, and Jesus is our captain. Now to Paul's point at the end of chapter 2 that we heard about last week, we don't need to try and keep earning our position on this team. 
We've already made it, we're already on it, and it can't be taken away from us. Assuming that this year's Sydney Marathon still goes ahead sometime in September, even if I happen to beat this guy called Liam Adams or Jack Raynor or Brett Robinson, who are the Olympic qualifiers, I can't then simply go and demand a spot on the Olympic team. Even if I completely obliterate them in this upcoming race, there's no way that I could take their place in the Olympics. Why? Well, it's because those guys have already qualified. They don't need to prove anything anymore. They don't need to beat me, they have no obligation to beat me, because their position is now secured. They've got bigger fish to fry. What happens in local or even national events doesn't even matter, because they're now set for international glory. In a similar fashion, we don't need to worry about our security in Christ. Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can jeopardize our position on his team, except our own willingness to be on that team. And just like our Olympians who move on from national glory and are now focused on international glory, so too are we to move on from our earthly goals to having heavenly goals instead. Paul says in verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 3 that we are to set our hearts and minds on things above and not on earthly things. Before I knew Christ, my goal in life was to be comfortable and to have fun. I wanted to get a job that I liked and you know, paid well. I, I wanted a girlfriend, a nice house, eventually a family, and I wanted to be the world's best basketball player. But since I died in 2001 and was raised to new life, my goals are no longer just to be comfortable and to have fun. My goal now is to glorify God and to bring others to know Him as well. I want to know Him, the power of His resurrection, and to do things that will resound in eternity. To set your hearts on things above means to change the things you set your affections on. What is it that you long for the most? What would you say would make your life complete right now? You might say, well, if only I had the right boyfriend or girlfriend, or, you know, I just need to get married, or maybe I just need to get this job, or the business just needs to be in this place, or, or this amount of money, or this kind of house. Maybe like me, your ambitions were just to, have, to be comfortable and to have fun. If your goal is not set on something that will impact eternity, then your goal is not worthy of the new life that you've received in Christ Jesus. If you've set your heart on something that is going to improve your life, but is not going to glorify God, then you need to reevaluate your life and your heart's desires. Don't waste the precious blood of Jesus on achieving temporary worldly success, but not on lasting heavenly success. Surrender your plans to God, and let Him be the true Lord and Saviour of your life. Set your sights on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Setting your heart and mind on things above also happens on a much smaller scale in our everyday life. It means changing our affections. It means we change our desires and what we allow our minds to dwell on. And we actually do this all the time. Take, for example, the latest thing, the latest craze on Netflix. We'll go from loving the Tiger King one month to setting our hearts and minds on The Last Dance the next month, for example. You know, we get excited by the latest series on Netflix, Stan, Disney+, Apple TV, YouTube, but then we find it so boring when we try to read God's Word. 
And I know this because that's actually me most of the time. You see, setting your heart on something means to actively and consciously choose to love that thing, to get excited by it and delighted in godly things and forgoing earthly things. Francis Chan, he tells this story about, I think it's his wife's grandmother. Uh, she was a very godly woman who would pray and spend many hours with God each and every day. Uh, one day, as a family, they decided to go and see a movie at the cinemas. Uh, but before they could leave, she said that she couldn't bring herself to come along with them. Uh, they asked her what was wrong, and she said that if Christ returned, she didn't want to be found watching some movie. She wanted to be completely ready when he came back, and she couldn't bear the thought that she would be found watching a movie if Jesus happened to return in that next hour. Francis Chan's grandmother-in-law was someone who was so close to God that her heart wouldn't allow her to be distracted from heavenly things for even one hour. Now, if you're like me, then you know, you're probably the very opposite of that. You can't even concentrate on godly things for one hour without getting distracted. Maybe even right now you're reading something else or checking out something on your phone, thinking about what you're going to do after church instead. Setting your minds on things above is to actively and consciously fill our minds with God's truth and his word. For most of us, we're so attached to this world that it's going to take a disciplined effort and a deliberate plan to make real change. Paul says in Philippians 4.8 like this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, uh, sorry, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. However difficult it may be to make these changes in your life happen, know that it will certainly be worthwhile. It is in fact the only right response that someone can have who's been granted this new life in Christ. We need to take off our old selves. Sometime in, back in 2001, I died. I can't remember the exact date. It was my first time at Hillsong Church in a service like that. Um, I didn't really know what was going on or what I was doing. Uh, but the preacher asked everyone to close their eyes and to put up their hand if they wanted to be forgiven of their sin and turn to Jesus. And so I did that. Uh, after he'd finished praying, he never actually said that we should then open our eyes and, and put our hands down. And, so I just had my hand up and my eyes closed and everyone else had their eyes open and could see the decision that I made. Um, it was very awkward for me, especially as my first time at church and you know, people on the way out were congr congratulating me and patting me on the back. It was, it was really weird. Um, but I guess that was the point in my life that I'd made the decision to follow Jesus. The, the Bible describes this turning point as our transition from death to life. It's the decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life, the decision to voluntarily surrender my life to God. No longer are we in charge, but God is. And Paul puts it like this in Romans 6, verse 6 to 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says that our old self, our old way of life with us in charge, has died. We're joined with Jesus in his death 
And Jesus' death means that we are now free from sin. Paul goes into great detail to explain this, including in previous sections of Colossians. I encourage you to re-watch or re-listen to previous sermons uh, on our website as Joe has expounded this for us in previous weeks. But all this goes to say that we are no longer who we used to be. We used to be slaves to sin, but now we're forgiven and redeemed. We're set free and we're now slaves to righteousness. I'm no longer just an ordinary guy living in the world. I've joined God's Olympic team and I represent him now. My heart and my mind is reset on heavenly things. And so it makes sense that my life should be really different to how it used to be. Colossians 3, 5 to 11 in our text read for us today. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Firstly, a disclaimer, Paul is not saying that we have to be perfect. In fact, he knows the reality of our sin, and he even admits his own struggle with his sinful nature in Romans chapter 7. When we become Christians, although spiritually we are transferred into God's kingdom and added to his team, we still need to go through the lifelong process of becoming more and more Christ-like. That's the process called sanctification. We'll likely never be perfectly like Christ on this side of eternity, but as we mature, these wrong attitudes and behaviours will become more and more out of character for us. It should be less and less of a temptation for us. Pastor John would say, we aren't sinless, but we do sin less. One other preacher described our mortality like this. Our old uh, sorry, not our, um, our morality like this. Our old way of life is like a black canvas with some patches and spots of white. Our track record is mostly black with a few good streaks here and there. But in contrast to this, our new life in Christ is like a white canvas that has spots of black. The black areas should shrink and become smaller and fewer as we become more and more like Jesus. The black marks that represent our sin are out of place stains on an otherwise white canvas. Our character and behaviour becomes more and more in line with the people who God has made us to be. In order to achieve this, we need to put to death our wrong desires, attitudes and behaviours. Put to death is the bluntest way that Paul could put it. He doesn't give us the option to just slowly dabble less and less in sin. No, we must drastically and emphatically rid ourselves of it altogether. Even though we are going to struggle with sin, as we keep our hearts and our minds focused on things above, our character and our ability to resist temptation will grow over time. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do everything in our power now to resist temptation. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So what do we need to cut away ourselves from? Well, Paul lists for us two different things. In verse 5, we have a list of bad attitudes or evil desires. They are sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Paul doesn't go into much specific or great detail about each one of these, and each one of them would be a sermon in itself. So I'll just briefly address the first one, sexual immorality. This is what my Life Application Bible says about it. The Bible everywhere celebrates heterosexual, monogamous marriage as the proper context for sexual fulfillment. Christian men and women should be open to true love and to sexual intimacy within the commitment to a lifelong, exclusive relationship. This was God's plan from creation, and Jesus emphasized this plan in his teachings. God has given us these instructions to enhance and protect family bonds and to ensure lifelong respect and integrity for spouses. Sexual involvement outside of marriage destroys people and families and turns their hearts away from God. Let me read that last sentence again. Sexual involvement outside of marriage destroys people and families and turns their hearts away from God. If right now in your mind you're a little worried, perhaps because you have been keeping a dirty secret, well, let me reassure you that you're not alone. God knows exactly what you've done. He knows the thoughts that you struggle with. And the last thing that he wants is for you to keep going on in this cycle of sin. Now, this sin can take so many forms, but none of them are tolerable. None of them are excusable before a holy and pure God. Jesus did not die for us so that we could remain defeated in sexual sin. And so I urge you, please, privately or publicly, Find and, reach, uh, find and reach out to a wise uh, brother or sister, a mature brother or sister, who you trust, who can pray for you and help you get out of this sin. The next list in verses 8 and 9, Paul tells us to get rid of. Colossians 3, 8 and 9 says this, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Again, Paul does not go into much detail about each one of these. And if I were to categorize them just broadly, I would call them mostly sins of speech. They address the things that come from our mouths, our lips. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. What we say with our tongues is ultimately a reflection of what's going inside our hearts. Out of an evil heart, evil words come out, and out of a good heart, good words come from. So when you're annoyed, or frustrated, angry, or full of rage, what kinds of words come from your lips? What do they say about what's going on in your heart? Are they venomous, harsh words, fueled by hate? What kinds of things do you say to or about your spouse? Do you address your spouse with respect and kindness when you're in front of the kids or in public? Or are you more likely to complain with bitterness and sarcasm? The things you say really reveal how you feel towards your husband or wife. 
And when you're together in private, are you kind, encouraging, and generous with praise? Or is there only nagging, bickering, and fault-finding? Proverbs 21, verse 9 and 19, say that it's better to live on the corner of the roof or in a desert than to live with a nagging or bickering wife. What about your language? Do you drop a casual F-bomb every now and again? Do you try to fit in by swearing? Are you honest in your speech? Or do you embellish the truth so that you can look better? Do you tell lies? Because telling lies is sometimes easier than dealing with the truth. James 3, 9-10 says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now Paul throughout has used this metaphor of taking off our old self and putting on our new selves. In verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 3 he says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And in verse 12 he talks about being clothed with various virtues. I remember back in youth days, uh, we played this game, uh, you were put in teams and you needed to put as many articles of clothing as you could on the smallest member of your team. Uh, now it was winter, so we had a lot of layers on, and I remember throwing them onto Carla, who became this giant sweaty marshmallow of random people's clothes. It was both hilarious and ridiculous at the same time. It was ridiculous because when you get given new clothes, you don't just put them on over the top of your old ones. Uh, when my wife buys me a new shirt, for example, uh, I don't just go on and put it you know, over the top of the shirt that I'm currently wearing because that would be ridiculous and it wouldn't fit very well. What I would obviously do is remove my old clothes first and then put on my new ones, which I am not demonstrating here. The old clothes represent my old sinful habits and choices that I made when I was still in charge of my life. They need to be discarded and removed. That includes putting to death and discarding sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, getting rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language and lying. Only then can we put on our new selves. Uh, Paul uh, tells us what these new clothes are like in Colossians 3, 12-14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I think you'll agree that these brand new clothes are far superior to our old ones. And the prophet Isaiah was familiar with these clothes too, it says in Isaiah 61.10. I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. These new clothes are so much more suitable for and more compatible with someone who is now on God's team, someone who is one of God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved. Many of the qualities overlap with the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul has listed in Galatians 5. And of course that's no surprise, as these characteristics are all expressions of love. Love is what binds them all together in perfect unity. If you love others, then you'll show them compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Love will enable you to bear with one another, to forgive one another when you hurt each other. Love is what binds these virtues together, because only with love can those expressions be authentic. If you're not motivated by love, then you can't genuinely carry out these things. And during this lockdown, I know many families have been forced to uh, be closer together or spend more time together, uh, perhaps more than they're used to. Uh, now that's a perfect recipe for magnifying any existing tensions or friction in the home. You know, if you found your kids annoying before, then they'll definitely be more annoying now. And if you couldn't stand your parents before, then living with them 24-7 now is going to be much tougher. <clears throat> At the same time, if we are loving those around us, then those expressions of love will also be magnified. We have more opportunities to be kind, considerate, and gentle. In the past couple of days, I lovingly crafted toast with Nutella for Caris in the mornings. And not just so that I could have a good example to share today. Being patient and generous, uh, sorry, being patient and gracious, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and being a peacemaker are all tested now more than ever before. It's in these times that we must remind ourselves that we are no longer who we used to be. We are to take off our old selves, our old clothes, and put on the new ones. Then our lives will be consistent with the new life that we've been given in Jesus. Finally, Paul concludes the section by highlighting how our vertical relationship with Christ should impact our horizontal relationships with one another. Verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we've correctly prioritised our vertical relationship with Christ, then our horizontal relationships with each other will also fall into place. The peace that comes from our relationship with Christ enables us to have peace with those around us and to be thankful for them in our lives. The wisdom found in the message from Christ that we've been given in the Gospel should be shared, taught, and used to admonish. We should lift it, lift it up in our praise and our worship, singing it from our hearts and encouraging those around us. And finally, in verse 17, Paul gives us an overarching guiding principle. If we forget everything that's been said up until now, then you can fall back to this verse. If you want to know how to live this new life that God has given us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, then simply apply verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I found this illustration uh, about a farmer. Uh, this farmer managed to catch a young eagle and put a restraint on it uh, so that it couldn't fly. Uh, he allowed it to run loose and, and roam in the barnyard. It wasn't long before the eagle began to act like the other chickens, scratching and pecking at the ground. The bird that once soared so high in the heavens seemed satisfied to live 
the barnyard life of the lowly chicken. One day, the farmer was visited by a shepherd who came down from the mountains where the eagles lived. Now, seeing the eagle, the shepherd said to the farmer, What a shame to keep this bird hobbled here in your barnyard. Why don't you let it go? The farmer agreed, and so they cut off the restraint. But the eagle continued to wander around, scratching and pecking as before. The shepherd picked it up and set it on a high stone wall. For the first time in months, the eagle saw the grand expanse of the, of the blue sky and the glowing sun. It spread its wings and with a leap soared off into the sunset. At last, it was acting like an eagle again. And like this eagle, we have spent much of our lives in the barnyard of the world. But God didn't create us to live as grounded chickens. He gave us his son, Jesus, so that we could break free from the captivity of sin and live freely as his dearly loved children. When we set our hearts and minds on things above, we'll long for far greater and more wonderful things beyond what this world can offer. So take off your old clothes, put to death sexual immorality and control your tongue. Put on the robes of righteousness, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bound together with love. Just as it is only right that the eagle soars through the sky, so it is only right that we live as new creations, that whatever we do, whether in word or de deed, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful privilege to be able to open up your word and, and to just hear from you. Father, I thank you for Paul and this letter to the Colossians and the many things that we can learn from it. Father, I thank you for the many truths that are found in your word. I thank you that we are new creations in Christ, that the old truly has gone and the new has come. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live as the people that you've called us to be. I pray that we would set our hearts and our minds on things above and take them off earthly things. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do away with our old selves. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with sexual immorality, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to be able to ask for help, to be able to go to someone that we trust, to pray with and, and to commit this issue and battle this issue with together. Lord, I pray that we'd have uh, the conviction to do so, knowing that it will honour you and that we do it for you and your glory. Father, I pray for those of us who struggle with controlling our tongues, God, perhaps in this time we've been frustrated or annoyed and we've said things that we have regretted. Lord, I pray that you would increase our patience and our forbearance, our ability uh, to interact with one another. Father, I pray that you'd help us um, to, consider, to be kind and considerate of others and those around us. Uh, Lord, I pray if we're struggling in these areas uh, that you would convict us and that you would help us to change. Lord, I thank you that we can be like this eagle. Thank God that you created us to soar, that we are new creations in you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us that no matter what we do, whether in word or in deed, that God will do it all in your name, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.